Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny will be interviewing Kate Northrup, and the two of them will be discussing her latest book, due out in April, entitled Do Less, A Revolutionary Approach to Time Management for Busy Moms. So tune in and learn how to have more by doing less. And now we welcome your host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, attorney turned life coach, Sunny Joy McMillan. And we're here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. KKNW, bringing you amazing coaches, teachers, authors, and healers who are on a mission to encourage you, inspire you, and give you tools to live a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. Those are found at 1150kknw.com. And you can find out more about me, connect with me for coaching and all that good stuff by going to my website, which is goldenoversoul.com. That's goldenoversoul.com. And one quick housekeeping matter to get out of the way before we bring on our awesome guest for the day. Um, So um, I mentioned to you guys for the past couple weeks around the 27th Annual Women of Wisdom Conference that I'm going to be speaking at. And of course, uh, for those in Seattle, you know, we had um, a record-breaking amount of snow uh, in the last several weeks. And so um, we ended up um, rescheduling that conference. Um, So the new dates that have been announced by the organizers are March 2nd and 3rd. That's a Saturday and a Sunday coming up here very soon. Um, The theme is Spark Our Creative Fire, Dance in Power and Beauty. Um, And for those who haven't been to the Women of Wisdom Conference, um, it is one of the longest-running women's spirituality conferences out there. Um, Since 1993, WOW has been providing a unique, um, intimate setting for women to really come create lasting change in their lives and then, of course, the ripple effects out into the world. And I will be presenting uh, my workshop, debuting it as a group workshop. I've done this work privately with clients before, but I'm really excited to bring this to a group setting. Um, soul Digger, seeking the, soul, seeking the Gold That Comes From Your Soul. Um, and this is a little bit of a passion project for me. Um, one of my favorite quotes that I think is really applicable comes from one of the teachers of my heart in this lifetime, Dr. Martha Beck. And she writes that um, we need to be brave enough to turn away from the shiny objects and toward the light that makes them shine. Um, And as I've mentioned before, I love shiny objects. They're fun. And I think part of being on this earth is appreciating the beauty and all of the neat things that come along with being in a physical body and a physical reality. But sometimes those shiny objects can become distracting and they can even become a substitute for our worth, which I think comes from being a spiritual being and not all the other stuff. So we're going to have a fun workshop where we're going to learn how to be a soul digger. So I encourage you to come out March 2nd through 3rd um, for the Women of Wisdom Conference. Uh, You can find out more, register for the conference and all that good stuff at womenofwisdom.org. That is womenofwisdom.org. Okay, so on to our fabulous guest guest for the day. I'm so excited to speak with Kate Northrup. Um, And uh, she's got a fabulous new book coming out that we'll be discussing today called Do Less, A Revolutionary Approach to Time Management for Busy Moms. And that's going to be due out in April. So we are in pre-order phase now. um, And I'm going to let Kate tell you a little bit more um, about what you can get if you pre-order the book when we bring her on. But just by way of background, um, as an entrepreneur, best-selling author, and mother, Kate Northrup supports ambitious, motivated, and successful women to light up the world without burning themselves out in the process. Committed to empowering women entrepreneurs to create their most successful businesses while navigating motherhood, Kate is the founder and CEO of Origin Collective, a monthly membership site where women all over the world gather to achieve more while doing less. Uh, Kate's first book, Money, A Love Story, has been published in five languages. Her work has been featured by The Today Show, Yahoo Finance, Women's Health, Glamour, and The Huffington Post. And she's also spoken to audiences of thousands with Hay House, Wanderlust, USANA, Health Sciences, and more. Kate lives with her husband and business partner, Mike, and their daughters, Penelope and Ruby in Maine. Um, Find out more about Kate and even receive your... a free copy of the five simple and effective ways to get the results you want in your business by visiting katenorthrup.com. That is katenorthrup.com. Kate, welcome to Sunny in Seattle. 
Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, before we got on air, I was just so excited um, and uh, getting to listen to your podcast and read a little advanced copy of this book. Um, and, you know, the title of the book is Do Less, A Revolutionary Approach to Time Management for Busy Moms. And, you know, going in, I was thinking, well, okay, so this is probably going to give me some time management practices, but this book is so much more, Kate. <laughs> and it gave me those practices, but there's just, oh my gosh, so much rich wisdom. And so I just, I would love to hear from your perspective. How did this book come about? Um, that's a great question. I don't really know where anything comes from. <laughs> No, I mean, it really, um, it came from, I mean, honestly, I think that this book came from my childhood of being raised by a mom who worked all the time. And then it came from me getting pregnant with my first baby and not being able to work nearly as much as I had prior to that point. And then being so completely shocked by what motherhood actually entailed and having to navigate working while, you know, tending to the life of this new love of my life. And these two things that I cared so deeply about, um, my work and, and this child. And it was suddenly understanding that my time had just gotten so much more precious and that I needed to approach it differently. And that also in a way I was seeing my body as so much more precious because I had to take care of my body in a way that I never did before while I was pregnant, but then also while I was taking care of my little girl because I was her source of sustenance. And so so many of the lessons about self-care and putting yourself first and all that stuff. I was like, yeah, 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 that's great. <laughs> but when I became a mom, I realized how true it actually is that we really cannot show up for the people we love unless we are showing up for ourselves. And I, I just didn't really understand the depth of that until I became a mother. And so this book really came out of my own experience. And then, and then throughout it are the experiences of the women I've worked with in our origin community, my membership. So, um, you know, so I have the perspectives of, of women from all different walks of life, um, you know, single moms, same sex couple moms, you know, all different types. So it's not just my own experience. Yes. And just as a quick note, you know, I know that that busy moms is in the subtitle, but this book is not just for moms. I mean, you use the term no. nurturer interchangeably there. And I just wanted to have you speak on that for a moment, just so that folks out there who may not be moms know that this applies to them as well. Yeah, I think that there, I mean, I honestly don't think there's anything in the book that doesn't apply to <laughs> all women. Right. And certainly, honestly, 80% of it, I think, applies to all people. Um, but you know, they, you got to have a tagline. Right, right. <laughs> so, or a subtitle. Um, and I really, you know, I wrote this pro as sort of my ode to working mothers, mm -hmm. but it really... Um, there's nothing in here actually about raising children. So <laughs> if you're not a mom, and but you do, you know, you would raise your hand and say, yes, I'm busy. Um, and I have a lot of, of things and people and projects I care about. Then this book is going to help you manage that so that you aren't just trying to find more hours in the day that do not exist because that is not ever going to happen. Right, right. And and you mentioned this earlier, you know, that you were raised by a working mom. And I just, I wanted to ask specifically, you know, Dr. Christiane Northrup, of course, is your mom. And you write, you know, that she's a champion in the wisdom of the female body and the feminine at large. But she also worked her butt off as you were growing up. And I just was curious, you know, what did you learn or pick up from being raised in that kind of an environment with those two opposing forces? Or I don't even know if you'd call them opposing forces, but those two different holding those two different spheres, really. Well, as a mom myself now, and I've, you know, I've read various parenting books, but I really can tell you that modeling is everything mm. and our kids embody what we show them, not what we tell them. Right. So this is not bashing my mother. I adore my mother. I live five minutes from my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Poor 
great friends. Um, and she would be the first to tell you, you know, she did the best she could with what she knew and what she had access to. And it was a different time. Yeah. Um, and now I'm just upgrading the legacy for, you know, for my generation and for my daughters. And so the thing is, like, she talked about the principles of, of um, listening to your body and really tending to your needs and our cyclical nature as women. But she was a physician at a time when it was still a majorly pioneering thing to be a female physician. And so she was out there proving she really needed to prove um, that that it was okay that she was even there because the philosophy was at that time, well, if you're, I don't know if you saw the the most recent uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie, it's fantastic. Oh. Um, but there's a scene where she's around the table at Harvard Law and and her professor or the dean or whoever is in charge says, you know, to all the women who have been accept, accepted to Harvard Law, stand up and tell me why you deserve to be here taking the spot of a man. Mm. And that that was exactly, you know, the environment that my mom was coming into her career in. Mm -hmm. And so she just didn't have the luxury of actually doing less and actually honoring what she knew to be true about the female body. Um, and so I'm so grateful that I can actually live into it in a way that she couldn't. And I would imagine my girls will live into it in a way that I cannot. Yes. And that was one of the things that I did not expect to find in this book, but that is such a huge emphasis. And you even start out really talking about um, your observance of nature cycles. And I thought, oh, we were talking about this on the show a couple weeks ago with one of my co-hosts um, and about how there are certain times, and I couldn't even remember what the word was. I think it's when a field is fallow and the word yes. is so rarely used. And I loved that you really um, immediately brought in this concept of looking to nature cycles for wisdom and guidance. And I'm curious for you, how did you even come to notice those parallels and then apply them to our work in our lives in this book? Well, I actually, a while back was writing this blog post. Um, and it was, it was about, it was called make mother nature, your financial planner. So my first Ooh. book was called money, a love story. Yeah. And it was about healing our relationship with money and becoming a better money manager. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting? Like I knew about the phases of the moon and I knew about the four phases of the women's menstrual cycle. And obviously I knew about the seasons because I live on the planet. Um, <laughs> and, and so I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if one of the ways we could make our financial management more fun and, and kind of feel more sacred would be to organize it according to the phases of the moon. Let's see. Let's see. Cause I've, I've always followed the lunar cycles and I kind of like to organize my life around just the, just the basics of like, um, calling things in at the new moon and letting things go at the full moon. I keep it, I keep everything pretty simple. Yeah. Um, but you know, I follow different astrologers and stuff. And so I'm writing this blog and I was doing some research and I realized in a much deeper way, even though I had sort of always known, but in a much deeper way that the four phases of the moon, the four phases of the female menstrual cycle and the four seasons all have the same core energies. There's like the springtime energy of new beginnings. There's the full bloom energy, like of the peak of summer. There's the winding down, like cozy, you know, tidying up energy of the fall. And there's the fallow energy, the, the rest, the nothing of the winter. Mm -hmm. And we've all learned as women, you know, very little about our monthly cycle, even though it's an incredibly normal thing, it's still like this last taboo, which is mm -hmm. ridiculous because it's responsible for, you know, human life. Right. Um, <laughs> so we're all here because women have periods. Let's just <laughs> talk about it. Um, and so I just thought, well, that's so cool. If, if the very four energies that are responsible for life on planet earth and human life, and also the four phases of the moon, if they're the same four energies, that must be the same with creative projects. And so I, I broke it down and I created a, what I call the upward cycle of success, where, where I, I look at project management and creative projects as four phases as well that mimic these four phases of the cycles that I talked about. So it's basically like plugging ourselves into the energetics of the cycles that have been there all the time so that they can guide us so that we don't have to be looking outside ourselves anymore for how to organize our lives, our creativity, and our time. Because the blueprint actually lives inside our bodies and is really responsible for the way planet Earth runs. 
Absolutely, which is in direct contravention to how I believe we are culturally programmed to be, as you say, we're, um, the more masculine model is a 24-hour cycle, and it's just go, go, go. Um, and it, it really is interesting. Um, I, I just want to read um, a quote from the book. Our obsession with action and productivity is programming. And so if we have been programmed to believe that productivity is what makes us valuable, how then do we step outside of that to be able to adopt this more cyclical um, uh, cycle that really reflects nature and the menstrual cycle, et cetera? Well, I love this quote uh, from Lao Tzu, which is, nature never rushes, Mm. yet everything gets done. So the truth is when we follow our cyclical nature and we build in deliberate time for rest, deliberate time for new beginnings, deliberate time for, you know, launching and being out there and deliberate time for wrapping projects up, we actually are more productive. So it's not about sacrificing your results. It's about being less obsessed with doing things all the time. Mm -hmm. We can actually have just as good results, if not more, when we do less, but better. Um, And so essentially it's really dialing into, okay, what am I working on? What is the highest and best use of my time? How can I devote myself to that and let the extraneous stuff melt away. But what, what happens is when, you know, let's say you were like looking at following a more simplified lifestyle, what we come up against is that programming that in order to be valuable, we must be busy. Mm -hmm. And so that is really, to me, the work is dismantling our obsession and our addiction to busyness. And the way you do it is I find that that structure of scheduling my projects according to the four phases that I talk about in the book in the upward cycle of success. I love structure and I love scheduling. I love planning. So I'm not like one of those airy fairies, like just go with the flow. Let me just like tap in and see what I feel called to do today. I really do love structure and planning. And so, but I love that this structure allows me to follow a plan that I know works because it's how my body works. It's how the cosmos work and it's how the planet works. So it's using that sort of external, um, model, although it's also internal because it's in our bodies, um, as, as proof basically, and then scheduling our lives according to that. Yes. And, and one of the things that I, in reading the description of the book on Amazon, um, before we hopped on today, um, one of the descriptions that I really liked was about, um, you write, or whoever wrote it, <laughs> said, <laughs> as opposed to focusing on fitting it all in, time management and leaning in, as so many books geared at ambitious women do, this book embraces the notion that through doing less, women can have and be more. So there's there's this idea that you talk about that women don't need to lean in to fix the system. We need to lean out <laughs> so that basically the systems, um, and I'm reading here, we need to lean out so that the systems that don't support our well-being can collapse and new ones can be formed. And that's kind of a revolutionary idea, Kate. <laughs> this is a, you know what? This is a revolutionary book. I mean, I have to tell you, it is so shocking to me to look out there and see still all the Instagram accounts, all the, you know, the success oriented material for women that is really about hustle harder, get up earlier, push more, put in more hours, be the first, you know, first at the office, um, go harder than the next guy. And that is why adrenal fatigue and autoimmune issues and so many issues are ravaging women's bodies. And at the end of the day, you know, I referenced Bronnie Ware's book, The Five Biggest Regrets of the Dying Mm -hmm. in in Do Less. It's nobody, nobody lies on their deathbed wishing they had worked more. At the end of the day, the big regrets are not staying in touch with the people we love, not following our heart, living according to other people's expectations instead of our desires. Um, you know, not being courageous enough to be our true self. So 
when we tap into the do less model and the blueprint, because it's not just an idea, there is like an actual framework. Yes. <laughs> when we when we access that, then we actually di dig into deeper levels of satisfaction so that we can ensure that we're living our lives to the fullest. And so we won't end up at the end saying, oh, no, I screwed it up. Right. I was following the wrong thing. I was following the wrong goals. Um, yeah. I mean, listen, I'm still really ambitious. <laughs> I yeah. want big things in our business and our life. And yet I also know that at the end of the day, it's going to be the time I spent with my girls. It's going to be those moments with my husband. It's going to be, you know, taking that walk in the woods, being, you know, meditating, being really here because it's so easy to rush and end up missing your life. Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm imagining as people are hearing this, they're thinking, okay, that's all well and good. Go walk in the forest and that kind of thing. But <laughs> I'm going to like, I'm not going to be able to pay my rent and that I, I won't right. get anything done. And you, this is one of the other things I loved about the book, because I love a nice mix of science and spirituality. And you really bring in um, some evidence-based research as to why it actually ends up being, we end up having more, not just material resources, but that too, but having more by doing less. And I was hoping you could share some of the research um, as well as your own anecdotal findings from your own life <laughs> as doing less has ended up being more. Absolutely. So it's so wild. And, and there's an entire chapter that I go into and I'll happily share um, share that. Globally, actually, what's so interesting is that, of course, this is this is as, as often the case. Um, the United States is a little behind. Um, <laughs> imagine in, that. <laughs> imagine that in terms of making strides towards, um, you know, towards essentially doing less. So, um, like in Sweden, for example, companies are finding that that when they reduce the work week, they're increasing their bottom line and their workers are happier, which by the way, those two things are connected. Yes. <laughs> when your workers are happier, you increase the bottom line because people are out sick less, they are more focused while they're present and, um, and they do better work because they feel like they are valued and they're not exhausted. Um, I, when we when we have a lack of sleep, like when we've been pushing it too hard mm -hmm. um, and and we're not getting enough sleep, and I have this data in the book as well, it actually is as though we are we're high or <laughs> we're drunk. Like it's as though you showed up wasted to work. <laughs> and and so we think like, oh yeah, I'll just pull an all nighter or I'll just, you know, if I if I stay up until eleven o'clock, i'll I'll get ahead you know, I'll somehow like get ahead, but you're actually setting yourself up to get behind um, the next day. So like in Sweden, they are moving towards a national standard of a six hour work day. Mm. And they've realized that companies like um, a Stockholm based app development company, Philamundis are finding, of course, this is not so shocking that if you stay off social media, minimize distractions and minimize your meetings during the day, the reduction of hours doesn't reduce productivity one bit. Staff's happier. There are fewer office conflict, which of course saves a ton of time and energy and people are able to exercise, be with their families and pursue passions outside of work too. And then their bottom line goes up. Uh, yeah. So, oh, I mean, that's just some one example, but it really is profound. It is. And one of the other on the flip side of that, uh, you included some statistics on, um, you know, a 48, 49, 50 hour, 50 mm -hmm. plus hour work week. Uh, yeah, it actually changes our gray matter I, that that having that kind of stress and that much work, it, it negatively changes the shape of our brain. Yeah. Yeah. It's really shocking. And it also it also leads to mental health issues. Yes. So we think, you know, to be perfectly honest, when I read that, I was like, oh, well, a 50 hour work week isn't that crazy. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like I'm like, I mean, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. like nine hours, you know, it's not insane, right. but it actually leads to tremendous um, mental health issues. And of course, reduces our productivity because any one of us on average can only spend like two to three hours focused 
on the things that actually move the needle. Like if you, if you, um, one of my favorite authors, Paolo Coelho, yes, um, the wrote The Alchemist. He talks about that he really only works like, and this is very common. Stephen Pressfield talks about this a little bit too, although I think he's like has his butt in the chair far more often. Um, <laughs> right, right. But a lot of these writers talk about really, you know, sitting down for like two to three hours and that's their time. Yeah. And then they're done. I feel like Louise Hay said something similar that she had oh, really? between like five thirty or something. She was pretty early morning, if I remember correctly, mm -hmm. and she would work for about two to three hours, and that was her day. And by you know ten a.m., she had the rest of her time free to do what she wished. And obviously, yeah. she continued to move the needle forward in her work. She obviously <laughs> didn't listen. It doesn't mean that I'm saying like you may not pop in for some emails later right. on in the day, or there might not right. be a meeting. But like an example is. Right now in my life, I schedule 8 a.m. to 12 p.m. I have no meetings, and that is my time for my work, my 20% that gets me 80% of the results. So creating content, whether it's writing and working on a book, working on an article, you know, writing an email, writing a blog, whatever it is, and then I do the rest of the stuff in the afternoon because I know that based on my own cyclical nature for the day, during that time, I'm going to be so much more productive and I'm going to get a lot more done in a lot less time. That's so key too. It's knowing when to schedule things either during the day or during the month so that you are getting more done because you've scheduled it at the time that your brain is the most poised for optimal focus. Because if I try to get the same amount done at 11 o'clock at night, it's going to take me like five hours to do something. It would have taken me one hour to do and the product will not be as good. So I won't get as good results. Right. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, well, on that note, why don't we take our break? Um, I am joined today by Kate Northrup. She has a fabulous new book coming out in April called Do Less, A Revolutionary Approach to Time Management for Busy Moms. Um, and of course, it is in pre-order phase now. So uh, if you pre-order now, that will definitely support um, the book, making it into wider circulation and, and <laughs> uh, up Kate's numbers in that regard. Um, so you are listening to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy. We will be back in just a you. Are you ready to get unstuck from a bad marriage and embrace your best life? If you're anything like me, you may have spent years creating a life that looks pretty good on paper. There's just one problem. Your marriage is unhappy and unfulfilling, but you're too scared to trade your comfortable life for a future full of unknowns. In my new book, Unhitched, I will give you the tools you need to make the right decisions about your marriage, as well as the confidence that your future can be better and brighter than you can even imagine. I share my own very personal story, and I will guide you through a clear process that will enable you to answer the question, should I stay or should I go? It's a process that will help you tune out fears and unwanted advice, and instead tune into your own intuition and inner wisdom, as well as exit a marriage gracefully and feel secure about your future. Get ready to trade confusion and stagnation for your best life. Unhitched, unlock your courage and clarity and unstick your bad marriage. Available for pre-order today on Amazon.com. It took me a long time to be able to say Chandler has cancer because that is such a scary word. St. Jude takes care of absolutely everything. And knowing that we don't have to pay for all of the medical expenses, that's huge. St. Jude allowed me to focus on being a mom to Bryce. And sometimes I'm just in awe of the impact St. Jude has, not only on this community, but the world. St. Jude is uniquely positioned to advance the cures of pediatric cancer, I think better than any other institution in the world. The contributions make a big difference. Donors are important to us because you get the feeling that you have a team behind you. We have the resources and we have the focus. And so if St. Jude doesn't do it, who will? St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Finding cures, saving children. Learn more at stjude.org. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. I'm Dr. Anthony Lazowitz, and this is Climate Connections. In Michigan, investing in energy efficiency is paying off for the climate and the wallet. To meet state requirements for reducing wasted energy, Michigan utilities have implemented a range of energy efficiency programs. For example... Some offer customers free energy audits and rebates for efficient appliances. 
The energy efficiency programs are funded by a surcharge on customer utility bills. But for every dollar they're charged, customers have saved, on average, more than four. The cumulative effect of the efficiency programs between 2009 and 2016 was a net bill savings of $3.3 billion. That's Ariana Gonzalez with the Natural Resources Defense Council. She says now the state is working to ensure that energy efficiency programs reach low-income homeowners and renters. She says lower energy bills can free up a little extra money for other necessities, such as groceries or rent. We see energy efficiency as having a huge impact on people's everyday lives. Annually, the savings may be around a couple hundred bucks for a homeowner or renter and thousands of dollars for a building owner. Each month's savings can really add up to make a difference. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. Learn more at YaleClimateConnections.org. Do you make a positive difference in the world? Do you have a talent, philosophy, base of knowledge, product or service that you know could help a lot of people if only you could reach them? Join Alternative Talk 1150's family of broadcasters and start walking down a fruitful path. As host of your very own program, dial 425-653-1150 and find out just how affordable it can be to have a show on 1150 AM. That's 425-653-1150. Alternative Talk, we have an opportunity waiting just for you. Wherever you go, Alternative Talk 1150 is here for you. Welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy. I am joined today by Kate Northrup talking about her upcoming book, uh, soon to be released in April, um, called Do Less. And Kate, do you want just quickly here to mention to folks, um, I know you've got some really cool uh, things that can come with a pre-order if they go through your website. Do you want to mention that here? Absolutely. Yeah. So if you go to katenorthup.com forward slash pre-order, you're going to get a workshop on how to set boundaries and the art of saying no. So if you're a people pleaser, this one's going to be key. (laughs) You'll get a lesson on how to decrease your workload and increase your results by 80%, which is an all-time favorite in our community. You'll get an interview with Latham Thomas, who's a friend of mine and um, creator of glow of, uh, sorry, Mama Glow in New York City, and then an interview with Dr. Shafali Sabari, who's a New York Times bestseller of Conscious Parenting and the Awakened Family. Plus, your seat will be reserved for free for a guided course I'm doing this summer going deeper into the work in Do Less so you can implement it in your life. So you'll get all those things for free when you pre-order at katenorthup.com forward slash pre-order. Yes, a lot of good stuff there. Um, And so, um, we were talking before the break about some of the evidence that you provide. There's a whole chapter in the book dedicated to satisfying one's left brain for everything you need to know why doing less is actually much better in the long run. But I was really curious, Kate, in hearing about your own experience. Um, so I know when you uh, had your first little girl, um, the amount you worked during that first year was way less than the previous year. And, and I'm sure you had some concerns around, oh my gosh, I'm working less. Will the income suffer? But what did you actually find, you know, when you got into it now in 2019, looking back on those past several years? Well, this isn't especially important for, for, you know, people, if you're listening and thinking like, oh, that's nice. This woman with her do less, like (laughs) I, you know, again, you mentioned like, well, you got to pay the rent. I get it. (laughs) I was, um, having a baby, while running a business with my husband, we had zero backup. There was no maternity leave. There was no somebody's job to pay the benefits. Like we had to make the money or we were not surviving. So I get the pressure. And what I found, which was so shocking to me, is that my husband and I both took about three months off with our daughter. Plus I cut my work hours in a about in half while I was pregnant because I was just so tired. Mm. Um, And what I found is that our business, our income was steady that year. And so what that meant to me was not that it was a miracle. What it meant to me was the previous years, I had been spending a lot of time doing things that didn't get results (laughs) just to remain busy. And uh, yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Because of the addiction to busyness, because of our enculturation that busier is better and that somehow activity brings productivity. It does not. 
activity is just you moving around or <laughs> shuffling papers or, you know, being on the internet. It doesn't mean you're getting results. So, so I really recommend running that an 80, 20 assessment on your work, meaning what are the 20% of activities that get me 80% of the results and actually make a list and then move towards spending more and more time on the 20% and less and less time on the 80% and you will be blown away by how much less you can actually do than you're currently doing. So just as an example, um, Kate, because I think this really leads well into a little bit of an explanation on how the book is set up, but in your own life, um, for those out there listening who maybe I know we've got a lot of um, entrepreneurs in our audience who do heart-based businesses. And so what did an example of 20% in your life, like what were the things that were 20% for you? And what were some of the things that would be an example of the 80% that maybe you didn't need to be doing so much of? Yeah. So the 20% for me is content creation and connecting with people. Mm -hmm. So a, nobody else in my business can, in our company can do that. Um, really in the way that I, you know, I would want to do it. Um, not that they're not good. They're just, yeah. you know, it's a personal thing. And then the other things are like being on social media, working on graphics, um, scheduling things, um, you know, kind of like logistical things, technical things, admin things, um, customer service, those sorts of things are important, but they're not my, my 80% because somebody else can do them better than I can. So you work in your zone of genius, basically. And then the the 80%, you let other people who that's their zone of genius work in. <laughs> exactly. And as a company, we're committed to staying on our 20% edge, each yes. of us. So recently we had a meeting where our social media um, manager laid out an entire plan where she noticed that through the insights on our social media, that some of what we were doing was getting zero results. Huh. And so we changed up the, the plan. And as a result, it actually took workload off our graphic designer. So it was a perfect do less example where we realized that, you know, the time that our graphic designer was spending creating these gorgeous images, they just weren't getting engagement. And that what gets engagement is my random posts about my life on Instagram, <laughs> which we then reshare on Facebook. And that gets way better engagement. And we don't have to spend precious time doing graphic design for that. Yes. Oh, that's such a good realization. Um, yeah. And so you mentioned, so this experiment of doing the 20%, the 80%, this is one of the experiments in the book. And so you have some beautiful content in the um, several chapters in the beginning, and then you go into some experiments. And do you want to share a little bit about how the book is structured so folks know what yeah. to expect? Yeah. So, yeah. So part one is really the do less philosophy. So we go into um, the global evidence for doing less, which we touched on a little bit. Then I talk about um, how we are cyclical beings and how that's connected to our worth and how we can get into momentum using our cyclical nature. Um, and I talk about a concept called egg wisdom, which is really fun. I was introduced to that concept by my mom. And how our, our, as women, we are really wired to attract what we want. And then it's broken down. The second part is uh, 14 experiments. So you could do it over two weeks or, you know, pepper it out, pepper it however you want to do. But it's really bite-sized experiments to practically apply doing less. So it's not about overhauling your entire life because that is not do less. That is <laughs> do more. It's about small things that make a really big difference because usually it's the tiny tweaks that really get us the most profound results in our life. And so these 14 little experiments um, won't take you extra time. They will actually give you your time back um, when you practice them. Yeah. Do you mind providing an example or two of some of the experiments folks could expect from that? Because I know I, in reading through those, I love that you you share a lot from your own life and how these experiments really shifted things for you. Um, and so they're really, um, they're things that are, to me, when I read them, very approachable and, and fun to incorporate into one's life. Well, you know, a big one for our community has always been ask for help. It's a huge one for women in general. Mm -hmm. Um you know, asking for help 
is challenging because we many of us were raised to believe that we should be able to do it all ourselves. Um, by the way, no one's able to do it all themselves. <laughs> and if you try to do it all yourself, you will end up exhausted and cranky. Um, <laughs> and so I talk about asking for help and my tips for asking for help, which are to do it early, often, and kindly. Because <laughs> what ends up happening is we have a tendency to wait way too long to ask for help when we're already way past our capacity. And then when we go and ask, we're already super cranky. Um, and then it, a cranky woman is not easy to help. <laughs> so, uh, so another experiment um, that I have is this kind of goes in tandem is open the lines of communication. So just a story from my own life the other day, the girls had been home for like six days in a row due to snowstorms and illness. And then we had a holiday weekend and I knew that I had some things I needed to do because, um, you know, the book is coming up and like it is time sensitive. And so my husband and I sit down every week and I really recommend this to go over our schedule. So we have shared Google calendars, but we also go over our schedule. And so in that meeting, oftentimes there arises moments where I'm realizing timing wise, I'm going to need help from a childcare perspective or from some other perspective. So in this particular case, none of our babysitters were available. Um, my, my mom's away. My bonus mom is away. Like I literally, there was nobody who could help me. Um, and I ended up reaching out to a friend's mom to, cause she had said, Oh, you know, reach out anytime. And these people who say reach out anytime, put their names on a post-it <laughs> note, put it in the kitchen drawer underneath the, what, where the phone would have been when we <laughs> right, had landlines right. <laughs> and, and then pull it out for those moments because they are so happy to help. Um, I love it when people ask me for help. And if I can't help them, I say no, but, but, but we need to be more interconnected as humans. We need to live in community more. We need to create those villages. And what I found is if I'm brave enough to ask for help, then my girlfriend will, will ask back because she saw that vulnerability and she, she saw how great it was. And so I'm trying to set that example more and more in my own community. Absolutely. And so it's it's experiments like those that are really, um, I think, in going through the book, beautiful, as you say, that you can use um, um, use them over a period of time, like a couple weeks. Or I'd heard you say on a podcast, you can even use it like an oracle and just <laughs> flip to one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Try it out. Um, yeah. So you'd mentioned a moment ago um, in one of my favorite chapters um, was on egg wisdom. And I was hoping we could talk a little bit about that because I feel like that's something that our audience especially will like. And I loved if I could share a quote from the book and then we can talk about this. Um, so your body is wired for egg wisdom. This is not something you need to take a course on or get certified in. You do not need to make 100 vision boards, visualize diligently every single day for 20 minutes, or watch your thoughts like a hawk, having a meltdown every time you think something negative because you think that's broken the spell of attraction. So what is egg <laughs> wisdom and how does it ease the pain of all of those worries? <laughs> yeah, so the egg wisdom is so cool. Again, this is this is a concept I learned from my mom, Christian Northrup. And so in our bodies, the egg is 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 sort of she comes out and she is she is what allows an entire human being to be formed. And it and when she is released, she goes down the fallopian tube and then she kind of like hangs out and she actually emits a signal. So she stays still, but she emits this signal that lets the sperm know where she is mm -hmm. if they are coming. Yes. <laughs> and she and and then she has this amazing ability to actually release a hormone that allows the sperm to um it helps them swim faster. And then she actually chooses which sperm she lets in. So they're all trying to get in and she makes the ultimate call. And then once she lets one in, she is able to repair the sperm's DNA. So she's able to sort of like fix it up and she has enough nutrients for her and the sperm to travel all the way down until they are embedded in the uterine lining. So the lesson here on a metaphorical level, because you know, listen, if you've had a hysterectomy, if you're postmenopausal, um, this, this totally applies to you. So you don't have to actually have eggs. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you yeah. don't have to ovulate in order for this to apply to you. This is the way 
the feminine principle is. She's there. She's available. She's receptive. She puts out a strong signal for her desire, but she does not go running around looking for the sperm, doing all the things, trying to get the sperm to come. (laughs) She just puts out the memo that she's available. And then her very nature, her very essence speeds her speeds up the rate at which her desire is swimming towards her and then she gets to choose what she actually lets in and she can make it better and and something that my mom has always said is she's able to egg it on that phrase <laughs> egg something on uh-huh. is really like the way that we as women tend to improve things when we show up you know we do the flower arrangement or we add throw pillars pillows or we beautify and then she also brings a picnic she's able to nurture herself and her and the fertilizer and and so that's the way that our deepest feminine principle is honestly as women and men. So if you're wanting to tap more into the feminine, think about the egg and that egg wisdom chapter gives you actually the, um, the biology behind it, which is really fun. Yes. Yes. And I loved the the question that, that you leave for readers, you know, what would the egg do or not do, or where could you start practicing being the egg? And there's just so much peace in that because <laughs> there's just a funny vision of thinking about the egg running up and down the fallopian tube. Like, where is it? Where is it? And like, it does not do Wait, that. She doesn't do that. She's not like down at the cervix, you know, like, hello. <laughs> She's just hanging out. And I, yeah, it's, yeah, instead of like the WWJD, it's, we should be WWED. What would the egg do? I know, love that. And and similarly, you, you've alluded to this, or we've talked about it, I guess, um, earlier in the hour around this upward cycle of success and how you really begin looking at um, the menstrual cycle and these four phases of it that you really have been able to apply and I, I wanted to ask you specifically, um, if you want to run through them, that that's awesome. But the one that I was particularly interested in is this idea around the fertile void, because I mm. think that's something where um, you, you mentioned that you had your own fertile void from 2013 to 2016. And that can be for a lot of people, we don't want to be fallow. We don't want to be void. We want to be just doing, doing, doing. So I, I would love for you to speak on that a little bit. And, and the again, resting in the, the comfort that nature has a fertile void. It's okay if we do too. Yeah. So the fertile void is the, the, the season of our creative projects or our, you know, our creative flow that is the same as winter where it looks like there's nothing happening. I mean, it's winter right, right now in Maine. It really looks like there's nothing happening from a, from a nature standpoint, but so much is happening under the surface. Mm-hmm. And every year, without fail, after winter, there's spring. Now, sometimes it comes later than I would like in Maine, but it (laughs) always comes. And so in our own lives, for me, after my first book came out, I really didn't feel like I knew what I was doing until late 2016. So it was almost three and a half years between big major ideas. And it was so painful because it felt like everyone else I knew knew what they were doing and they were releasing things and they were awesome. (laughs) They were doing all this stuff. And I just didn't know what my thing was really at that time. And, And then in retrospect, I realized that that was totally natural and normal. So if you're in a career transition and you are in the place between, um, you know, what was and what is going to be. It doesn't mean, by the way, like I was still working those three and a half years. I still had bills. We still had payroll, you know. So I'm, I don't want you to think that the fertile void means somehow you have to um, be able to fund yourself to like sit on an ashram and meditate. I mean, that's great if you can do that. That just wasn't my reality. Um, so it is a time when, you know, you may just kind of be chopping wood and carrying water and keeping things going. And it may not be where you're in this like peak, creative, dynamic, inspired place. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you. 
And in fact, when we honor the fertile void and we spend time in that place researching and journaling and listening to ourselves and listening to our intuition, we will, you will find that then your next time that you come into that springtime of your creativity and the springtime of new projects, your ideas will be more powerful and they will be more successful when you honor that fertile void place to the extent that your life allows you to. Because I get that we still have to actually do things because we, you know, we live in society and, and we have bills. Yes, yes. Um, and, and that does bring up another question that I wanted to ask you about, because as you mentioned in, in, in the intro, you're very, uh, your first book that was very well received and very successful, Money, A Love Story, is very different, or not very different, but there's, there's I, I feel like I've heard you say, maybe it was on a podcast, that that after that book was done, it felt complete. You'd said everything you wanted to say about money. And then now with the work that you're doing, of course, this new book, Do Less, The Origin Collective, um, it seems like you have really stepped into something that is, well, I would say watching this from the outside, you have found this beautiful place where it seems like you're thriving and where there's a lot of fertile ground for new things to come and flow. And I'm just curious what that process was like for you, um, for those out there listening who are maybe pivoting a little bit or how to know when something feels complete and what you're stepping into next. Yeah, that's such a great question. So when I was promoting Money, A Love Story back in 2013, um, what I found is you know, I was, I'm so proud of the book. It's helped many, many people. And I also was in these interviews. Um, like again, like I really felt like I had put what I had to say in the book (laughs) and then I didn't have anything else to say. (laughs) Now I will say, you know, with another, whatever it is now, almost six years of experience under my belt. Now I have a few other things to say about money, (laughs) but at that time, you know, that's where I was. And so the experience for me was just really a trusting and a surrendering. And there was definitely some gnashing of teeth and some clawing and some crying and some like, what's wrong with me? Why, you know, why am I so slow? Everyone else is, you know, the comparison game that is so toxic, um, but so human. Yes, (laughs) And, And so, um, I really just had to trust that like, well, if this isn't the thing, probably there will be something else. And so I just kind of kept going. That's the other thing is we do have to stay moving forward. Mm -hmm. I I do think I have noticed in my community a little bit that um, sometimes when we're scared of taking action, uh, my community members are starting to use the fertile void as an excuse to not take action. So I just want I just want to put that out there that like just saying, well, I'm in the fertile void, so therefore I cannot take action towards my dreams. Uh-huh. I I don't buy that. Okay. I don't buy that at all. I think we can always do little things even if there is researching or reaching out or, you know, writing a blog post here or there or 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 trying out a workshop. I think you'll get a lot more information from staying engaged than you will from sitting around doing nothing. Yes, absolutely. And I, I really appreciate, you know, you sharing about your personal journey around that. I'm I'm kind of in that space myself, so I was very curious to hear how that looked for you. Um, and we are coming up right at the end of our hour. Um, Kate, I just want to thank you so much for being here on Sunny in Seattle today. It's been such a joy to speak with you about your new book. Thank you so much. This was great. Awesome. And just for those out there listening, the book is Do Less, A Revolutionary Approach to Time Management for Busy Moms, uh, available for pre-order now. Don't forget, if you go to katenorthrup.com forward slash pre-order, that's katenorthrup.com forward slash pre-order, you can get the benefit of all of those amazing little extras that um, come with the book. And it will really support Kate in the launching of this book if she has a lot of pre-orders. So I encourage you guys to get it. I loved it. And I am going to definitely order my actual physical copy uh, when it is available. Um, So you have been listening to Sunny in Seattle. Of course, my guest today was Kate Northrup. Uh, Thank you for joining us. This is your host, Sunny Joy, signing off.